0: Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast that helps you understand what your company is worth and what your exit options are. Host Ryan Tansom and his guests give you all the information you need to get clarity and control over your business, build a valuable company to be proud of, and exit on your terms. How's it going, everybody? And welcome back to the Life After Business podcast we are on episode 160. Today's guest's name is Chris Ronzio. He is the founder of Trainual, and it is one of the leading software companies that helps business owners get their business out of their brain. He's been featured and has sat down with Gary Vanderchuk. He has been mentioned and had conversations with Michael Gerber from the E-Myth, and he's getting lots of attention because we all know as entrepreneurs how ridiculously hard it is to decouple our brains and ourselves from our business and then scale and delegate to our employees. And what makes Crystal special about being able to talk about this and having the credibility is he started a company back when he was in college doing sports videography. And he scaled that company up to hundreds of videographers in every single state. And he treated his business like he called a Quote unquote creative playground where he was constantly trying to do things better. Chris realized that he had a knack for this when he got burnt out and he had started talking to a business broker about trying to sell the company. And he still realized that the business relied a lot on him, even though he had built a lot of systems and processes. So he spent about six months training the GM that he had been working with to decouple himself even more from the business. And after he ended up selling the company, which he tells the entire story, and it's a great one of how he ended up doing that, After he sold the company, he realized that he has a big knack to understand how to decouple yourself from the business, and there's different ways to do it. So he started a consulting company that was teaching owners how to organize the chaos, and then as they were doing that, he created this system that allowed business owners to use training and a manual, which is the name of the business, Trainual, to combine all that stuff to make it easy for us to take the stuff that's in our head, put it into a system, Because if you don't, you have a really expensive, high stressful job. It's not sustainable, predictable, or transferable. And as we continuously talk about in all of these episodes and all the thought leaders in this space, John Warlow talks about building a valuable business. Michael Gerber, who has the book called The E-Myth and is talking about we as entrepreneurs need to decouple ourselves from our company to have a valuable company. We talk about it with Scott Fritz, who introduced us to that, that allowed him to scale. If you want to increase the value of your company, have a better life, make more money, somehow you have to take all the stuff that's in your brain and systematize it and ingrain it in your culture. And what I love about what Chris has brought to the table and to the marketplace is this doesn't have to be drudgery work. There's really cool systems that can allow you to instill this in your culture in a fun way. And his system is doing that because I think the biggest challenge that even the customers that we work with is, how do you take that entrepreneur who is the lifeblood of the organization? This could be you know 50 employees, all the way up to hundreds of employees that I see. That person has to bring their DNA and ingrain it into the culture. And this is a way to do it. And the financial and emotional reward that comes with doing this work is absolutely worth every single ounce of energy. If you're interested in trying to figure out how to do that, check out what we have coming up in October in Minneapolis. It's our Growth and Exit Bootcamp. It is three days on October 8th, 9th, and 10th. It is 5,000 bucks, and it is all based on the five principles about how to grow and exit your company. So we spend the first day Understanding what are your real drivers that is making you happy, regardless of whether you have the company or not. So really zoning in on that vision and what are your your core drivers. The second part of that day is diving into business valuations. How do you value a company? What does that mean? And what does it mean to your business? The second day, we spend the first half of the day going through all the different exit options, how it impacts the value of your company, and how you can start navigating those different exits as it relates to your core drivers second half of the second day, we start talking about all the ways to increase the value of your company. So just like we're talking about with Chris here, if you can increase the value of the company, how does that impact your exit options? And then we wrap together the third day with all the different ways to hire the team of advisors to optimize your outcome and get you what you want. And the whole three days is wrapped together with, with two different case studies. So you can see in two different contrasting companies what their values are, how it impacts their operations. And one of the case study examples, the business is completely completely reliant on the individual and it shows in the valuation and what they're able to get. So check it out on the website on arcona.io. The whole bootcamp agenda is out there. We'll put it in the show notes. So without further ado, here's my episode with Chris Ranzio. Sponsored by Arcona's Growth and Exit Boot Camps. Three days jam-packed with material on the five growth and exit principles and the world of mergers and acquisitions. You'll walk away knowing exactly what steps to take to get your target valuation and your best exit option. Three days at Arcona's Boot Camp will give you the clarity to control the rest of the journey. Chris, well, it's not good morning. It's actually 12 now, but how are you doing today? Good. It's still morning in Arizona where I am. Yeah. So, and I'm like you said, I'm in Minnesota. It's summer, but I'm still wearing a sweater. So there's that. So jealous. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I, I actually, so totally side dig- digression right off the bat. But when we used to live down there before my dad started the business, he left a calculator on the dash, and it melted the entire thing in the summer oh my
1: gosh so much yeah when i first moved so i grew up in boston when i first moved out here we went to starbucks and got just an iced coffee and i remember the plastic cup melted over the edges it like it turned into like a mushroom coffee cup (laughs) and then like my son has left crayons in the car and it turns into one of those horrible wax paintings like all over the the carpet (laughs) right
0: into the leather of your car right
1: (laughs) yeah so this is it's not a not a it's a hostile place to live in the summer for sure
0: so let's get back into sort of the, the the listeners who aren't familiar with you, what you're doing. Let, let's go back and how did you become an entrepreneur? Tell us what you're doing now. And then you know, a couple of the big milestones along the way.
1: Man. All right. So I became an entrepreneur way back. I remember I was four years old. I had an uncle that uh, asked me to wash his car and he said he would give me $4 to wash his car because that was the pocket change he had. He pulled out and it was like four single dollar bills. And I remember at the time that it, the $4 was exactly how much it cost to buy a Ninja Turtle action figure, which was my sense of currency as a four-year-old. So, so uh, I washed his car. I got the four bucks. My mom took me to like Toys R Us at the time. I got an action figure and the entrepreneurship career was born. So I realized you know, you create value for someone, they pay you, you use it for the things you want. And all through childhood, that's what I was doing was like slinging wrapping paper and house cleaning services and car washing and cleaning people's patios. I had a faint <laughs> pack with like 10 business cards in it for whatever opportunity presented itself. So I was always that kind of kid growing up. My first real business uh, that I paid taxes on was a (laughs) production company. So I was 14. I started this little business with a friend where we would film the events at our high school. It was like the talent show and the soccer game, the football game. And we'd sell copies of the people that participated and the parents Mm -hmm. that came And what I loved about that business was it was so repeatable. Like once we had a client, it was like there was a game every week or there was a show every month or or whatever it was. So we had this kind of residual income and it was a a video that I I wouldn't just sell once like a creative video, but I could sell it tens or hundreds of times to everyone that was, was at the tournament. So that was the business that I really grew up in. It was you know high school and then into college, started hiring freelancers off Craigslist uh-huh. <laughs> and, and you know we can get super into that if you want, but that's kind of how I cut my teeth in, in business. So after school, I set up an office in Boston where I lived. I had four employees there. We were starting to get business out west. We were getting requests out in California for events. And so I decided to move across the country with my wife, ended up here in Arizona. And over the next few years, we built this nationwide video production company doing hundreds of events around the country. Oh we had over 300 camera operators, three offices. So it turned into this pretty logistical big operation. <laughs> no and I learned so much stuff. So that was like just a big milestone was, was building that and understanding that. So fast forward to now, after the video company, I set up a consulting firm to help other companies run uh, lean on systems and technology and out of that built Trainual, which is my current business, a business to document everything you do in your business. So that's kind of like the, the, a bridge yeah, that's a pretty, pretty, run good, run, run, but we, but we, and yeah,
0: it was all zero figure.
1: headaches along the way, right? <laughs> zero. Yeah. Totally stress-free.
0: So going back to, did you end up selling the, the video production company? I did so I learned a lot about that process and and so it was
1: an asset sale and going through that trying to transition this thing that I had built from the time I was 14 for someone else to profitably take over taught me what I wanted to do better in my next businesses. So for me, you know, our business was simple. We would show up to a live event. We'd contract with the sports organization and we would give them a percentage of all of our onsite sales to show up and do video and sell video but we had hard costs we had things like mm-hmm. the camera the equipment the team that we had there production managers the laptops to edit everything the cables that we ran through arenas to go to the jumbotron we had to sometimes hire union workers at certain things so this was a you know a, a, yeah. an intense business so back in 2010 the iPhone 6 came out, which was the first video, first phone to shoot in HD. <laughs> and, and I remember when that came out, we started seeing all these phones pop up in the audience, you know, filming their kids out on, out on the floor, out on the ice or whatever we were doing. And, uh, and so I, I saw the writing on the wall there and I knew that this production business at its current model wouldn't be around forever. So that's when I started trying to transition the business. So the first thing I did was I had a talk with my director of operations and I knew that if I was going to sell this business, I couldn't be running it day to day. So through a six month process, transitioned him to being president of the company. That was a... What was going on? And like, so did he, was he aware of it or... Completely. So he, he was even considering buying the business. And so in either scenario, whether we were going to sell it or he was going to take it over, he needed to know how to run it. So for me, that was the first step was let me get myself out of the day-to-day operations. Now at this time, we already had- I was gonna say,
0: sorry to interrupt because I I think that's a huge, and I know you got like a bunch of um, stuff that we can unpack as far as this goes, but Chris, like so many people, that's, such a hard realization that they, that happens after they take it to market. so like how did you realize that like where did that epiphany come from? And then did you kind of get freaked out that this director of operations could hold you over a barrel if you didn't get on board? So that whole situation right there, I think is what a lot of people struggle with, and they don't know how to, how to tackle it.
1: Yeah, so I think the biggest mistake I made in retrospect was I got to the point in my business where I wanted out. And that's not a great point to negotiate from, you know, I, <laughs> okay. I, I, I talked to, uh, um, you know, John Warlow, if you've read built to sell oh, okay. and, and one of the things he said that, that stood out is like, you want to build a business to sell, whether you want to sell it or not. And up to that point, I hadn't really done that. It was very dependent on me. So when I, when I got to this place where I just didn't want to go on to the events anymore, I didn't want to do the work anymore. I was kind of burnt out. That was not a good place to be in to want to sell your business. So I had to have a very candid conversation with our operations director. And I told him, look, I'm, I'm checking out. I've been doing this for you know 10 plus years. And I'm ready to do something else that's exciting. And he was excited and, and enthusiastic about the opportunity to take over. Mm-hmm. So, so we said, regardless of what happens, this is the first step. You're going to take over as president. I'm going to give you a uh, a, v- uh, a plan to vest into equity while we're going through this. And I'm going to spend the next six months training you. And that's what we did. And so I remember he had, you know, his end of the year letter, his Christmas card or whatever that he sent out to all his far- family. And he was really excited to be the yeah, president yeah. of this company. And, and so there was a little bit of him having me over a barrel, but it was also like, we we're partners in yeah, this effort. Super cool. we we're going to work yeah. it out you know? So, and he's still a great friend to this day. So, so we went through this process of me training him on everything so that I could take myself off salary, which was a big move for us. I freed up my salary. I gave him a raise. We hired a couple other administrative people in the office. And I really took a back seat where it was just him calling me when he had questions and and there was like this vacuum, there was this void of, I had been doing this my whole adult life and now I had to figure out what else to do. And so that was when I started consulting and it was kind of this soft process where he took over and we went for a year with him running the business and me just kind of mentoring mm-hmm. and me trying to figure out how to make money in the meantime and, and building my consulting firm.
0: So, so Chris, a couple questions on that is, uh, did you First of all, had you met Scott Fritz at this point yet? I had, yeah. Okay, because yeah. like I think you know when, when Scott and I were talking on the show, one of the biggest challenges is that I see a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with is this. Okay, I'm getting you know, call it 100, 200 grand a year, whatever it is. If if you're making that or you're floating off of it or whatever, somehow you got this lifestyle and being able yeah. to decouple the business from your your actual personal income. So I don't know if you were using distributions to cover your personal. The, your personal burn rate or what? Because I think decoupling that and allowing to understand that investment and, and did you understand how to value the company at that point? Because I think that's kind of like this fork in the road that a lot of people really struggle with.
1: Yeah, at the time I didn't understand it. Now I understand it very clearly. <laughs> 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 but at the at the time, I you know the business was paying me a salary, and I was happy if we broke even at the end of the year with paying me a, probably an under market salary. <laughs> Yeah. And, and, Uh and we went through the transition to Aaron, our our operations director, that was when that conversation first percolated. And it was like, okay, I'm taking my salary off the table. But now if I'm just an owner of this business, I want it to be profitable. I want it to make me something. (laughs) Right. I'm out of my own, my own being. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but it was really cool that for that year it was you know I had I had had this business that was really just a job that I worked in. It was like a creative playground that we were trying things and building things, and we had built up the operation. But really, I was kind of captive in it. It paid me a salary, and there was there was really nothing to show for it. And so transitioning the the day to day responsibilities a hundred percent, and me being able to step back, it was now like okay, I've got this asset like what can I do with it? What can I make of it? And so it was a refreshing thing. And Scott for sure was a, an influence there. So, awesome. so going forward through that year, like I mentioned, I started consulting that helped make up the income gap for, for myself. And, uh, and fortunately I was working way fewer hours and making way more money. And, and so that, that, that made the transition. Of it easier. I know it's amazing. <laughs> but as I was consulting for people, what really stood out to me was I had done things in the video production company that I didn't realize would be valuable to people in other companies. So one of the things we had was we had, I mentioned a few hundred camera operators all over the U S we would do events in all 50 States. And we had a really airtight standard operating procedure system, you know, the checklist that would go out. We had everything you need in a 40 pound Pelican case, one of those hard plastic cases, everything you need to shoot a whole event. And then we had the setup instructions. We would uh, onboard our camera operators with this beautiful process where we take them through a a password protected wiki kind of thing, and then quiz them, make them sign off on stuff, put them in to our CRM tag them in a certain way. And every time a job came up, we would like put in a few tags and boom, there was a list of people to reach out to. And so that systematic approach to how I scaled the video company, I realized was pretty foreign outside of my company. Mm-hmm. Like that, that wasn't something a lot of people do. And that was really the value. The value in my business was in the systems in my business, more so in the business model of my
0: business. What? So I don't know, because I I tend to go that direction too because of my old background and, you know, office automation and stuff like that. We are always just trying to hack to make more efficiencies, but like, was it pain that created that or was that, you know, nature versus like, that's how, kind of how you're wired or like, how did you get to that point? Uh, I would say pain. Yeah, it was, <laughs>
1: it's, it's this constant desire to make things easier, you know, <laughs> when people are like oh there's got to be a better way i love that because then it's like okay let's make the better way and then after a while that becomes a horrible existence as well and then you're like let's do it again let's make a better way again <laughs> and awesome. um and so i think i i have some of that innately but it was it was fun you know like i mentioned it was a kind of creative playground but it, every problem we'd experienced, it it was like gymnastics to try Mm -hmm. to figure out a solution and put a better system in place. And so we would do an event and have this big box of cables. And it took, you know, like four hours to run the cables around the arena. And then someone would be like, maybe we should put all the cables on a reel. And it's like, wow, no, like, like, (laughs) no no shit, dude, let's do it. And then we'd go buy a bunch of reels. And like every event from there on, we're rolling out cables in 20 minutes, you know? So it's like little things that you learn, but then... Being able to write that down and incorporate that into your training so that it proliferates beyond just you doing it is really where the value came.
0: So, Chris, where did you in like so in that year that you were consulting and you're kind of passing a lot of the stuff off to Aaron, which obviously was probably easier because of the stuff that you had already innately done? What will you what were some of the resources and things that you were doing? Were you talking to business brokers or talking to Scott? Like how were like as you're kind of getting this more like you're going like actually on the interview, with Scott we call it going from like thinking two-dimensional to three-dimensional when it's like all of a sudden, hey, this company's an asset. what What were you doing to understand the value of that? And when you said that you realized that your systems became valuable, like what was some of the insights in the process that you went through?
1: So for me, it was how do I extract as much value out of this thing as possible and gracefully transition into the next thing that I want to do? Because I knew I didn't want to be active day-to-day in this business. So for me, the options were either I'm going to turn this into something that's profitable, my operations director is going to take it over and I'm going to get a distribution every year and kind of be on on a board. And I thought that sounded attractive. And then the other thing was I was talking to competitors and I was talking to our biggest customers and trying to understand if there was a strategic opportunity to kind of parlay what we had built into something that might be useful to them. Mm -hmm. So... You know, the, the nature of my business, because it was such a, you know, grassroots, you know, built in high school kind of operation, very scrappy, very, you know, like not something any institution's going to come along and buy. So really, you're looking for another operator. Or you're looking for for kind of a, a big customer, mm-hmm. and so so the way we ended up transitioning it was kind of a hybrid. So mm-hmm. I found our our biggest customer that we bid against at all the events, all the video production events we were doing, had a conversation with them about taking over our contracts, taking over our book of business competitor because competitor. Uh, sorry, competitor. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So our biggest competitor, they, they were interested in taking over all of our contracts because okay. they were probably the only other company that could fulfill a lot of our contracts. You know, we had built this network around the country. We were competing for the same events and our main competitors were mom and shop video mom and pop video shops you know mm-hmm. working out of their house and a uh, couple people no overhead and <laughs> but but they couldn't do across state lines mm-hmm. and five events on the same day like we did i so started talking to the competitor and then the other thing was i started talking to our biggest customer which was u.s figure skating so okay. we did all of the figure skating events from the amateur little kid events all the way up to the olympic qualifiers <laughs> and cool. yeah, it was really cool and so I, I started talking to them and said, I don't think I'm going to renew our, our contract. We have to talk about what, what we might do here. If we bring in a, a, comp- a, a competitor, or if we partner with some, someone, if we do a joint venture. And ultimately what happened was they wanted the IP that we had built. We had built a website that was a, a fulfillment site where we'd upload all of our videos and take orders from parents that wanted those videos and then they could download them on demand. Think of it as like a private iTunes for yeah, the videos yeah, we shot. Super cool. So we had built this software and they wanted that software, plus they wanted to build their own in-house operation so that rather than paying a vendor, they Ooh. could just in-source and and, and have that. And so, so it was this kind of crazy hybrid sale where all of our con- other contracts, all of our equipment, all of our lists of, of camera operators went to a competitor. And then all of our IP and the how-tos of the business
0: uh, went to our biggest customer. Was the other person able to use the how-tos and stuff like that? And then just not compete with the U.S. figure skating, or it
1: was the 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 some of the systems did apply. So we we gave them like our training videos and things like that. But a lot of the the information for uh, U.S. figure skating at that just time was them. specially developed for them. Got yeah, it,
0: got it. Super cool. Did you use yeah. like a CPA, investment banker, M&A attorney, or Scott, or who was kind of guiding you along the way? <laughs>
1: Advisors for sure. I've always had business coaches, mastermind groups, mentors. So there was a lot of that. Um, I got a lawyer to come up with a simple contract, but again, this was this was like a you know a introduction to the real world kind of <laughs> kind of agreement. So, like I said, you know, going through that process, I wouldn't trade it for anything because it really set me up for building my next business to to be scalable and to be legit
0: <laughs> well let's let's dive into that too because i think you know the the, the, the beauty of honestly what you and i've gone through is that uh, we've got a longer runway from our age perspective where like i, I look at some of the people that are my show and this, this happens to them when they're all of a sudden they're like 65 and like oh i don't have another swing at the bat you know what i mean like it like mm-hmm. i don't have you know another choice so what did after you got done explain like what did, what did you do right after that and i know you're consulting and stuff like that and then where did the inception of the new business come from? And then how did you set it up from the very beginning based on what you learned?
1: Okay, so right after I went to Italy and, <laughs> I, and I was with my wife, we had no kids at the time and we went for uh, almost a month. And so while we were there, I was going to a coffee shop every day with a notebook and just writing in the notebook, like the lessons that I had learned from the last 10 years. And so I was kind of building the system or the framework for what I wanted to create going forward. And so we had done a couple things really well in the video business. First, we were super specialized. It was only a few sports by the time I was getting out of it. It was only events that were you know large live events. We didn't edit any of the videos. It was strictly the raw footage. Oh, that's nice. And, and so, yeah, we had systematized this to the point that like we had hardware, we had the cameras recording, like live encoding into the hardware, going into a machine, and an editor was just on there saying, like, start, stop, start, stop. And we're handing these things out on, on flash drives as people walked out the door. So it was a very fine-tuned process. And and we were very focused, and so I knew I wanted to be focused and narrow in what I did. And then the next thing is I knew I wanted to have a product, not a, a, a as much a service. So I wanted to productize or wrap some kind of package around what I was going to offer. The consulting I did in the the past year, that transition year, was very fragmented. It was like, yeah, sure, you want me to do what? I'll <laughs> sure I'll show up. Like just yeah, pay me whatever. Yeah. Um, we'll work this out later. And. Uh, you know, and there was, you are, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so I was sitting there thinking I need to, I need packages. I need to create something. So people feel like they're buying a thing. And, uh, and so that, that I took away. So when I came back, it was August of, I think, 2013, 2014. I came back and and I built these packages out for my consulting firm. And I said, it's going to be a one or a three-day thing where I come into your business like a Tasmanian devil. And I talk to all your people. And I go through this sequence of questions that I ask everyone. And I log them all onto this bank of 200 to 300 takeaways. And then I consolidate those things and give you this report from this format that I created. So again, very packaged, very systematized. And that was when the consulting really blew up. So, um, so that was, that became my, my laser focus was how do I do as many of these projects to, to go through and systematize these companies. And then I started building services on top of that, that would be delivered by my team. So I started hiring project managers and saying, I'll do the initial report. And then either you do it yourself, you execute, or you can hire my team for six months and we'll do the projects on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's what the consulting business became.
0: That's super cool, man. And is that where the new business came out of? And, and like, so, and uh, you you still own it, right?
1: I have a consulting, but we don't. We are not taking clients anymore. So okay. it's it's still in existence, but it's frozen. Uh, and ch- so,
0: ch- some of the reasons behind that. Yeah, give us kind of your thought process and what, as the evolution into what you're doing right now.
1: Yeah. So a year into that business, we were again sweeping into companies, putting a lot of new tech tools in place and rewriting their operations. And what I realized, the theme I saw was every time the owner would say, I love it. This is great. But can you do a training day with my team? Or can you write up some kind of manual or operations guide or standard operating procedures or whatever word they call playbook? And that was kind of the takeaway that everyone or the leave behind everyone wanted was that thing of like, great, you fixed my system. Now, Give me the instructions and make sure everyone's doing it right. And so I was frustrated at the time that everyone's using, you know, Dropbox folders and Google Docs and printed manuals. And, you know, you've got the big bookshelf behind you. People would have these like binders that were literally collecting dust and they had been (laughs) written 10 years ago. And so I wanted a, a simpler way to do it. I looked out in the market and there's, there's course building software that's like for membership communities yep. where you can build content and great sell tool,
0: it. Thinkific, think like all that yeah, kind of Yeah. Stuff.
1: Yeah. Great tools. And I think those weren't necessarily around yet, but there was like, you know, WordPress plugins and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and those tools are awesome. And Kajabi came out, but that's all for people that have content they want to sell, mm-hmm. not necessarily for your internal handbook. Yep. And so we created Trainual, which is just training manual shoved together. And it was a product for our own customers, our own clients. And so it was this little minimum viable product thing that you could build out step-by-step processes and you could plug in a YouTube video and you could assign it to someone and check that they've gone through it. And that's all it was meant to be. It was a product for my consulting company. So over the next few years, the cool thing that happened was consulting clients would refer the software to someone else that wanted the software, but didn't want the consulting. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, how do I, how do I do that? Okay. We'll put up a little sales page and we'll take your, you know, you can put in your (laughs) credit card, but we never marketed it. We never did anything. It was just kind of there. It just existed. And so a few years later, I've got this, this product that's generating a few thousand dollars in, in passive income and for me it was like oh cool now it's paying for my car oh it's paying for my mortgage it's paying for-. and and i kept looking at this thing and my wife would tell me like hey maybe you should maybe you should pay attention hey, to hey, this Chris.
0: ding 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 <laughs>
1: Yeah, so so the epiphany was 2017. Um, we had just finished up a really big consulting project. We had, you know, we were we were running profitably, so we were at maybe 80% capacity, and that was kind of our break-even point. And I said, okay, well, we can go add a few more clients and fill that back up, or we can just invest in in this tool. All the feedback we had gotten over the years. So we started rebuilding it. I had hired a new developer. I told him that would be his first project. Like, why don't you just take this? It'll be like a pet project. And over the the next few months, I got so passionate about like, oh, what if we had this? What if we had this? And what if we put this in it? And like, this would be cool. And I realized like all the consulting I was doing, giving people that advice for their business could be flipped into marketing content to just broadly share those kind of tips and trainual could still be the tool that delivers on the promise of my consulting firm, which was to make your business easier. Mm-hmm. And so so that was really the the shift for me was I saw we could make a much bigger impact with the software than I could go in client to client to client.
0: So makes a bunch of sense from a lot of different reasons. And, and it's just unbelievably exciting to hear kind of what you're doing with it. I'm curious like when you were doing that when you after realizing from the the video company to doing the the consulting did you ever have the like kind of the the perception of okay what's this going to be worth or what's the point of this i mean that's one of the biggest things in our framework that we talk about you have to know why you're doing this and then what's your what's the value of the company would were you ever thinking about that or is it more just kind of like this stepping stone to the to what you're actually doing with tranual i mean like did that like impact your decision to actually double down this direction?
1: Absolutely. So the the first thing, you know, coming off the sale of the video company, I saw that what it was worth was kind of a multiple on the salary that I was paying myself mm-hmm. because we were sort of at that break even. And so the value is very minimal. So now going into the the... Um, consulting firm, I said, okay, we have to make money and profit. That's not directly tied to my production, mm-hmm. but to a larger organization's production. And I wanted it to be recurring revenue. I wanted it to be, you know, a retainer kind of work. I wanted to have a consistent flow of of leads so that I knew that would add value. And so with the consulting firm, we started building some, uh, some simple marketing things to drive leads. I created a book, hundred hacks to, to, um, Improve your business. Um, we were shipping books out to people from LinkedIn lists that we had found, and we were getting the the lead source dialed in. And then on the um, the the operations, I started finding other consultants that had maybe sold a business before and wanted to. Go through the organized chaos process. Wanted to be licensed as a consultant in our one or three day workshops, mm-hmm. and I had two of those in uh, different cities. Plus Scott, actually, you know Scott. Mm-hmm. And so, so I started working with other consultants. And my plan at the time was, if I can build this network of consultants, like I built the network of videographers, then the IP of our brand and our and our model, the organized chaos model, would be worth a lot. And then on the back end, we'd have this kind of agency, this fulfillment agency, to help block and tackle that that other work so i was totally in the valuation yeah, yeah, mindset going through that so what changed that is um as i was getting other consultants up and running where do you think i was training them i was running them through trainual and again my wife the little voice on my shoulder is like is like hey maybe you should look at this thing and so and so uh So that was ultimately why I shifted to Trainual and said, you know, I like the the organized chaos process, the model we have, the the questions, the framework. That is still an extraordinarily powerful project, Mm -hmm. but I could roll that out later in a few years with a much bigger base of a much bigger audience. And so Mm -hmm. that was why we kind of froze it.
0: No, which makes a a a bunch of sense, and even from like the the sanity of making sure that you've got the infrastructure and the like. Tell tell me like you know as you're looking and 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 really investing this much in the train, you like, what are you doing differently in the business? Did you take on investors to grow this? Are you using profits from organized chaos to create this? Like, how have you kind of separated this stuff? And what is the what does success look like for you down the road?
1: So I'll I'll share my story. I don't know if this is the best advice for your listeners, but we'll see. So. Coming off the consulting firm, it, like I said, it was profitable. I had built up savings. I had, uh, you know, it, it was affording us the opportunity to invest in trainual. Mm-hmm. And so that went on for a few months as we were pouring money into it. Then we reached a point where I decided to stop taking any new clients because I wanted all my people to start working on trainual. So we shut off the source of revenue and now we're not profitable anymore. We're starting to bleed money and tap into our debt and things like that. So over the next few months in the first year that we were in business at month nine I was about three hundred thousand dollars in debt <laughs> that I had taken on just like you know credit personal credit cards oh, and yeah. lines of credit home, home equity line of credit just like let's get this thing going <laughs> yeah. but but I knew every month as I looked at our our MR and our ARR our annual recurring revenue as I saw that increasing I was doing a rough calculation on the multiple, That local investors were telling me, and I had people asking to get in. They wanted to put money in. They said, "Let me, let me give you know, let me give you a couple hundred grand." Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) and and so I would have those conversations, and then in the back of my head, I know the debt I still have available to me. So I would say, like, "All right, that's great, thank you." Like, let's talk again another month, or let's talk again another month. And I pushed it as far as I could um, before I needed to take any kind of capital. So then. Uh, December of 2018, it was December 2018. I did a a little convertible note with two friends, and that gave us an infusion of cash. And I did a lighter capital deal, which if you've heard of them, they're a like a revenue based financing. For, yeah, I have heard them.
0: Financing. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I took that on, and that's really propelled the business to where it is today. So we haven't done any kind of big big no. fundraise. I still, still own you know the the me. I mean, the convertible notes haven't even closed, so we still own hundred percent of the company right now. But, but yeah, that's how we've done it.
0: Well, and and I think you know, there's a there's a lot to be said about this, and you know, just some random things that have come from the previous podcast or clients, and well, actually, one that is very similar to this, where like you know, the biggest biggest challenge of a consulting company, even a service based business, is like it's not worth that much money, right? So if you you know, you either have to save, like literally, just like retirement, or you have to reinvest into productizing your business. And there's a, there's a gentleman that I interviewed because we're talking about creating, you know, if you have a base of customers, creating a software that you can then sell to those people, you could technically have two different companies and like you're funding the investment of the, you know, of the, the, um, business that you're building that's going to be worth what you need it to be worth
1: right because otherwise
0: yeah. you mean you literally just have to keep saving money otherwise you know you're gonna to have to have an earned art you're gonna it's gonna take time to hand it off, hand off the business or you do what you've done and you look at that and say okay well this is what the company's gonna be worth so you can, you've got an, an eye to why you're doing it instead of just doing it yeah. because it's a creative playground right i mean it's both but you actually have a Outcome that you're marching towards. Totally, and it,
1: and so along that path, when I was consulting, uh, my friend started a company called Design Pickle, and it's a it's a graphic design company, but you know a service based company. And I helped him build the whole operations in exchange for an equity stake. Couldn't pay me my consulting fee, but I got equity in the company. And watching them grow over the last few years has been remarkable. They're now almost three hundred people. They do, uh, yeah, they're they're north of ten million in in annual revenue. And watching that service based product evolve, you know, it's a it's a graphic design service that you pay a flat monthly subscription for, really helped shape. Both what I did in the consulting firm with coming up with packages and then what we've done with Trainual with the subscription and, and mm-hmm. building this business. Um, but I think it's something anyone with a service can do is just how do you take your menu of of options and slash it in half? And then how do you figure out the packages that most people need and put a fixed price on them and make mm-hmm. it something you can more easily sell? So like which by
0: the way, amen. <laughs> Like, I mean, I work with attorneys and CPAs and stuff like that all the time. And like, I, I think one of the biggest disservice to our economy is the billable hour model because they can't help you enough because they're scraping for dollars all the time. And then the client never wants to hire them. So there's no one's ever fixing the root problem and it's neither person's fault, but there's in, in like, I just look at the, the billable, like our model like you can only bill. $2,200. $2,200. And if you're a nutcase, you can build 3,500, but you never sleep and your life sucks. And like, you're right. tapped out. Like you're, there's a total ceiling and you can't sell it. <laughs> so it's right. like, right. I know, there's gotta be a way to figure out. Like, I think that there's a, a model for this in legal services or even like what I'm doing is so like so complicated, but we've productized it to a certain extent. And like, I mean, yeah. what, is there any other cool stories you've, you've heard of watched people do with your with your uh, product and how did they've actually switch their business model?
1: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned legal. I have a friend here in Phoenix that has a flat rate legal service. You know, I, yeah, I it's that. perfect. It's like you know, you, you can buy packages that are like, I want these five agreements, or you can buy a fixed monthly retainer where you get this much kind of time mm-hmm. available to you. There's, uh, you see it in real estate where you know I was driving through, I think Denver, and they were advertising on the radio, no commission closing, you know, it's just a flat like $2,500 to sell your house or something. And you see those different models popping up everywhere because people don't want to be on the hook for some unknown number of hours because the number of hours you pay someone depends on their level of productivity and their experience. (laughs) And then you get into this crazy thing. Like, are you worth the rate I'm paying you? What an absurd conversation that is, right? Because... Yeah. Now, you Someone quotes to a rate and it's like, well, I assume you're worth it if that's what people, if that's what you're getting, but you, you go into this place where you're trying to figure out, do they have enough experience? How, how many minutes are they going to take? Where do we shut this off? <laughs> it's like, just tell me the price for the end result I'm going right.
0: to get. So true, man. And like, and you know, going back to the story that my listeners have heard, I mean, like our CPA was not an MA CPA. So they're great at, you know, quality of earnings or audits and reviews and tax returns. But like, I mean, it's a jigsaw puzzle to structure that asset sale or stocks. And like, he missed a bunch of shit and like cost us millions of bucks. You know I mean, like, mm-hmm. well, that's like, but I paid him a lot of money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so, But how do you, you can't compare or like, like him versus another service provider. I mean, it's very, very difficult. How have you seen people that have you know, so in the service company, or even they're going through this kind of business model, going for, you know, t- going back to John Morlow, he's been on the show twice and I went and got, cool. certified. yeah. So his whole thing about, you know, cranking out logos and stuff like that from the built to sell. Yeah. Like, how have you seen people going, okay, how do I price this? How do I scale? Like, how are they using your product to be able to do some of that stuff and actually quantify that they can make money on that?
1: Well, so train you companies use to kind of document what they've figured out how to do. I actually, I trademarked this phrase, do it, document it, delegate it. And what it means is like in your business, you're f- constantly figuring things out. You're doing the work, but then you get to a point where you've done it consistently and there is a way to do it. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's when you want to hand it off to someone. And so the the part a lot of people miss is that you've got to take the time to write it down or document it or record it or in some way capture the way you want it done so that you can hand it to someone else and expect that they know how to do it. <laughs> you know if you just delegate without having documented then you're going it's a recipe for disaster and if you if you delegate before you figured out how to do it then you're you're all scratching your head so if you follow this process you know you you do it consistently you document it clearly then you can delegate it confidently um, that's what people use trainual for it's kind of like sweeping up the mess in the wake of your business <laughs> where you're figuring things out and then you write down this is how we do this and little by little, you're building a playbook. And so customers that sign up, you know, some of them just wanna work fewer hours and know and trust that things are gonna be done right when they're not there. Some of them wanna sell the business. Some of them have a succession plan in place. Whatever your motivation is, you need a playbook for your business because if you don't write the thing down, then it's stuck in your head and the business can't survive without you.
0: You're gonna love this uh, analogy, Chris, that one of my uh, friends and clients told me, uh, if he's listening, He's a, his name is David. He's a mortgage guy down in uh in Florida. He's got like thirty some employees, and he took a, a quote unquote sabbatical a year and a half ago. Well, it didn't go so well. <laughs> I mean, they uh-huh. were killing it. Like they were making. I mean, he's done this with mortgages. Like he can crank out a mortgage approval in like twenty four hours or something ridiculous like that. So he's literally mastered it. But he's got his own machine, and he goes, you know how I know whether it's doing well or not? And he goes, it's like the uh, the uh, steamboat you know, someone, the conductor or whatever that, that puts their hand against the wall of the boat and just can feel the hum going right. And he goes and that guy knows if there's a clunking that's wrong. And he goes, that's what most owners do is they literally can feel it against the wall, but no one on the planet has a clue what it feels like besides them. Right. Right. <laughs> and then
1: what if you can't come in and feel the wall one day, you know, I mean, like, like there's, there's, there's nothing you can do. So anyway, that like the whole journey that, that, that idea kept cycling you know circling around my head where you everybody wants a business that is systematized. They talk about systems and processes and you sit down and maybe hack away at a document and send out fire out an email to all your people like this is the way we're doing things now. <laughs> um, but if if it's not archived in a place that everybody trusts and goes to and signs off on and you know that everyone's up to speed, um, then it can just get lost. It just goes out. It's a one-time email and then it's, you know, you think you, you did it, but it made no impact.
0: Um, awesome. so, so that's why I'm so passionate about what we're building. That's awesome, man. So there's, um, you know, when we're thinking about the listeners that are okay, like they've thought about it and they've already been convinced, right? Cause everybody, I don't know too many people that go, no, I want everything to rely on me because I love working 16 hours a week, <laughs> but like, yeah. you know, it takes like the time, like the pain gets greater than the change. Um, so, like, what what do you do first? Like, how do you even start? Like, what if what are some like you know change practices, best practices for change management that you've seen as people are adopting this and uh, the employees are probably looking at you going bullshit seen this movie before. It's another flashy object. What what are things that you've seen that people adopt it at a high rate?
1: All right. Well, there's two things. So the first is like, what should you document first? If you're just getting started with this and you want to build a playbook and you want people to trust you, that it's not just this like midnight escapade that you're going to forget about the next day the easiest thing to write down first is just kind of a general welcome orientation to your company. So imagine whether you've got one employee or a thousand employees, imagine that you can't be there to greet every new hire and you wanna welcome everyone the same way into your business, this is the number one easiest place to start because it's somebody's entry point into your company. It's you teaching them about who you are, what makes you you. And so there's a couple simple things. First, just say hello and welcome. It can be a short little iPhone video, record it now, it lasts forever. Next, tell them the founding story. Like if, if you and I sat down, you'd tell me all about this business and your family and the thing that you guys built because I'm curious naturally as a person in that. And so are your employees. They're curious in why you built this, not just why you're hiring me today, but where, what's the idea behind this? Tell that story, write it down once. The next is like, who else is involved? Who's your team, your founding team? tell me a little bit about your industry or your market and what makes you different, share your core values. You know, there's a very simple template we have in Trainual, but it's just attacking that Mm -hmm. and saying, here's an intro to my company. So start there, because that's applicable to everyone that works for you now and that will work for you in the future. Mm-hmm. And if you can at least get that out to everyone, you can say I want us all to be on the same page and everyone can agree to that. The next thing is getting people crystal clear on their roles and responsibilities so there's no gray area. So Scott talks about the responsibility matrix. I love that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, what we've recommended is that you get everyone within 24 hours to brainstorm everything they're responsible for in the business. So this is how to do it. And if you follow this within 24 24 hours, you'll have literally hundreds of items as an outline for what to document. Oh, that's super interesting. Yeah. So here's what to do. First, you, a listener, and all of your teammates, just ask everyone to brainstorm the time-based things that they do daily, weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, quarterly, and annually. Real simple, but if you just wrap those time parameters around it, people say, "Well, all right, what do I do daily?" I I open up the store or I turn on the lights in the back or I take out the trash or I check my emails because I'm looking for the checks uh, or you know payments or whatever it is. People do things daily on a routine. Weekly, it might be payroll, monthly, it might be running certain reports or having certain meetings. Quarterly might be taxes or reviews. You know, There's these things that you do that if you just use the time-based approach, you'll have dozens in no time. Mm-hmm. The next thing, look at your email. Your inbox doesn't lie. And what I always say is look at your last two weeks of your sent mail folder. It's really specific. But if you look at the the messages you've sent in the last two weeks, it cuts past all the noise and gives you an exact representation (laughs) of the conversations you're engaged
0: in. You know what? I've, I've I'm pretty good at like tracking a lot of the stuff that I do, but I don't think I've ever done that. And that would be an interesting... It's so easy, but you can <laughs> yeah. scrub,
1: scrub through it in 10 minutes and, and just oh, with a I, piece of paper. <laughs> yeah, and you write down, okay, well, this person wants this. They're asking me for this. I had to do this. I had to do this. And really quickly, you'll have a big list. And then the third thing is if you, in your calendar, can adjust your actual appointments... To the time you spent on them. So all of us have calendars. And for most people, they're kind of aspirational. It's like I blocked an hour for this. I blocked three hours for this. But then the day went by and you did totally different stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you just go back at the end of the day and drag the, the blocks to the time you actually spent on things and put in, okay, 45 minutes putting out this fire and this, then you can really quickly build a log. So if you have every person in your company do that, I promise you, you'll have hundreds of items as this outline for your playbook book that you want to start working on the the most urgent stuff first.
0: Oh my gosh. I can't imagine the insights you would get from your operations from doing that. Like yeah. all it's crazy. Oh my gosh. Right. Do you have, do you have any pushback from employees that are, that are asked to do that? Not if you frame it up
1: correctly. If you say, if if you go at it um, with no context and you say, Hey, write down everything you do, then somebody's going to think, Oh my gosh, am I going to be fired? Is he going <laughs> right. to talk to me? Is it, you know, but if you say like um, I got. I I heard this great tip that you know if we all want to want to fix the things in the business that aren't working as smoothly, we should brainstorm who does what, and that way maybe we can help each other with with things and like let's all make a list and then we'll compare notes on Friday. You know, you want to make it this collaborative sort of thing. Mm-hmm.
0: That's awesome. I, I mean, super good. I mean, if anything, everybody should do that just regardless, <laughs> so they can <laughs> into their company. Um, as we're wrapping up here, Chris, you know, there's one thing um, that you know. You, you, out of all of the you know it might be just be the train yourl but the, out of all the stuff that you wrote down in your journal when you're in Italy and so it like that you learned from you know the couple different ventures that you've been on you know what would be one takeaway that you'd have for a listener that's kind of just looking up going okay how does how does this all work
1: yeah i mean i, I would say that it's the thing that the reason why we created train it's that you know all the things that you've learned in your business and all the things that your employees are learning every day you're paying them a salary to learn those things if you don't capture those then the money's going out the door. You know, the, the, the asset of your business is the knowledge in your business. It's the, the way you do what you do. And if you're just paying everyone's paycheck and not capturing any of that, then you've got nothing to show for it. But if you're capturing it and you're documenting then even if someone puts in their notice, you're happy for them. You say, great, I, I feel this was a fair arrangement. I paid you for everything you learned while you were here and I still have everything you learned to show for it. So So document and we'd love to help with that.
0: Wow, man. That is, I mean, well put. I mean, seriously, if people want to find you, find train what is the best, uh, places to find you?
1: Yeah. So great thing to check out. If you go to train slash checklist, you'll see over 150 things that we've brainstormed that you can start putting, uh, to work, uh, or documenting inside your company. So just train slash checklist. You can find me anywhere, social media channels, just Chris at Chris Ronzio, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook.
0: Cool, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I had a blast
1: oh this was great thanks ryan
0: so if chris can do this and decouple himself from a company that had hundreds of videographers across every single state in the u.s there are ways for you to do this regardless of what industry you have and if you want a roadmap about how to tie all this together to identify your target exit your target timeline your target valuation and then ways to actually increase the value of your company check out our boot camps October 8th, 9th, and 10th in Minneapolis at Bethel University. It's three days jam-packed full of all the material on how to grow an x your company, the world of mergers and acquisitions, and you'll walk out of those three days with clarity on how all the stuff fits together so that way you can identify what's important to you and you know exactly what that next step is to go get what you want. So thanks very much for tuning in and I will see you next week.